Welcome to the Mountain and Valley Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Michael Horvath. This podcast exists to share the stories of everyday people, to discuss the difficult moments in life, the amazing triumphant times, and the winding journey in between. We all have a story to tell, and we hope this podcast helps you in telling your own. On today's episode, we sat down with Bethany Horvath. Bethany shares about serving in InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, the struggles of chronic illnesses, how God heals, and how college was a defining time for her and her faith. But we'll let her tell you her story. Um, so, like many people from the South who share their testimony or their faith journey story, I was raised in a Christian home. I remember going to church every time it was open for a service or a special event. My parents were really involved in the church, and as a young child, probably around five or so, I asked my parents how I could get to heaven because, honestly, I didn't want to go to the scary place that was hell. They explained things to me and asked if I wanted Jesus to come into my heart. And at that time, I think I understood what they were asking. Um, And so I prayed to Jesus, asking him to live in me. Although I was a really young kid making this decision, I realized how much it shaped me as I grew older. I'm the oldest child of four and have many typical oldest child tendencies, like being compliant, obedient, wanting to please people. And I think these traits also helped shape my faith journey as a child. My friends knew me as, quote, the good girl throughout my middle school and high school years. And um, honestly, that title didn't bother me at all. I wanted to do good and be good. And so following Jesus and living this Christian life was something that came natural and really easy for me. Um, I also grew up in a household that lacked financial security. And so from an early age, Um, I developed issues of control and became a big worrier. I often projected one thing on the outside um, and having like I had it all together while often I was really an emotional and fearful mess on the inside. Um, We were still going to church. I was still at church regularly and was involved in many activities the church offered, read my Bible on my own and prayed. I was still the good Christian girl on the outside but things on the inside were vastly different. Because of the lack of security I experienced growing up, my main goals in life as a kid and teen were to make sure I didn't live the same life as an adult. And to make sure that happened, I knew I needed to attend and finish college. Um, This became my, my driving force in life and my main goal, and I was determined nothing would stop it. You could say my story is shaped around living a life of control. I've come to think that everyone makes decisions in their lives due to underlying emotions or feelings or issues, whether they're aware of them or not. And I was the perfect example of this during my college years. I eventually achieved my goal of attending and graduating college, but not without a lot of pain, heartache, and personal growth. I was accepted to the one and only college I applied to and received a really good financial aid package towards my education. 
I was excited and nervous about going two hours away to school where I didn't know anyone, but I really believe the Lord had directed me there, and this would show up in my later years in school. The summer before I started college, I had some major health issues addressed that I had been experiencing for a few years. I ended up having to have surgery about two weeks prior to starting college and and received some life-altering news that I may never be able to have kids and I had this disease called endometriosis that needed ongoing treatment and wasn't curable. This started a big battle between me wrestling God for control over my life. This was the big first thing to come my way that I had no control over. And it came at a moment in my life where I was experiencing a lot of changes and facing them by myself. The endometriosis treatment my doctor at that time put me on also led to the development of a severe depression and anxiety. So I started my freshman year not knowing how to accept the diagnosis I just received along with experiencing debilitating and undiagnosed depression for several months. My first semester as a freshman in college was, and and I still say this, it was the worst experience I've had in my life. I didn't know who I was. I had to make new friends. I felt like there was this huge blockade between God and I. I couldn't seem to pray. I couldn't sleep during the nights. I wept uncontrollably at times, and even experienced some thoughts of self-harm that really scared me. Um, Thankfully, the Lord had given me a strong Christian roommate who was familiar with mental illness from her family. Um, I would also call my mom in the middle of the night, sobbing, not knowing, understanding who I was or what to do with myself and what I needed or, or how to cope and she would read scripture and um, she would read scripture over me and pray. And I, I was a complete mess, but somehow I was determined I wasn't going to let this situation affect me from graduating college because that was my new goal and I wasn't going to let anything come between it. So while I was attempting to survive this time, <laughs> as a freshman with endometriosis and depression and feeling not myself at all, um, my mom was able to find a new specialist. This doctor quickly recognized my depression. He put me on a new treatment plan for my endometriosis and depression, which equated to taking 19 pills a day and realized I needed another surgery that December. I was a freshman girl who had two surgeries within five months of each other, a badge of honor I didn't really want to wear or had planned ever to wear. That January, things were much better, and I felt back to my old self thanks to my doctor and my new medication, and um, I came home for a long weekend that month and learned that my parents were separating. It felt like the bottom had dropped out of my life. Like all of a sudden everything was great for me health-wise and then this blow comes and I immediately went into oldest child mode 
asking if I needed to take time off from school and come home. And uh, this, I realize now that was one of my attempts to try and control that situation. But my parents said I needed to get back to school. And so I returned confused once again about what was happening within my life and where God was in this situation. As I finished my first year, though, I slowly began to see God in different areas of my life. And um, through my roommate and some of her friends became involved at the end of that year with an organization on campus called InterVarsity, which is a group of Christians that met weekly for Bible study and spiritual encouragement and growth. As I started in my sophomore year, it felt like I was finally in control of my life especially emotionally and mentally. My parents reunited, and I became really confident that I had everything under control. I was so confident that I ultimately um, abused this control. I became manipulative in relationships and began taking painkillers left over from my surgery to help me sleep. I used my relationship with God as an insurance policy and was willing to test the boundaries of it however I wanted to, because my thinking was because after that first year of all of that hard stuff, I survived, so what could really go wrong if I added more things or tested more things? Um, and in the midst of this tug and war of control over my life, I became more and more involved with university, which is kind of ironic because I was making really bad decisions. But little did I know, God would use this community and his presence in it to shake my understanding of my faith and his place within my life. During the fall of my junior year, I was getting ready to attend a weekend conference with university chapters across the Southeast. I had just packed my bag and I won't forget this day. It was like a rush of waves came over me. And I saw all the destruction I had made out of my choices from the past year. And it was so overwhelming. I didn't know how to handle the ugly truth facing me. And um, we were supposed to leave in like 15 minutes for this conference. And I ran to my roommate. And in tears, I was like, what have I done with my life? Who am I? Like, how can God love me? I, I don't even love myself right now. And I will never forget that moment because she pulled me in for a hug, a really long embrace, and said, God's plan is still perfect for you, and he still loves you. And that's exactly what I needed to hear in that moment, to face towards the future and to know that even in the midst of all the pain I had experienced and I had caused, that the Lord was present and never changing. Uh, I ended up going to the conference and I realized the goodness of the Lord there. Um, I realized all my games of manipulation and attempts to control my life showed how weak and dependent I was and I am on God. This was the starting point of recognizing I didn't want to live life for myself anymore. I had a desire to never be the same and to become more like Jesus and less than myself, less like myself. And then everything became perfect and life was so easy. Except that's not what happened. And I've learned that's not what happens usually to those who decide to follow Jesus and become more like him. 
In fact, I've learned often the opposite happens and things can seem a lot harder to those looking on the outside. But the peace of God is what has gotten me through. And that's what happened as I started my senior year of college. The summer prior to my senior year, I began experiencing debilitating, debilitating migraines from when I woke up to when I fell asleep. I was in constant pain and my general practitioner doctor ordered an MRI that summer. I went on with life as I knew it that summer since I had adapted years earlier to living with pain you couldn't do much about because I have pain with my endometriosis. The evening I was supposed to return to school early for an anniversary leadership retreat, my parents sat me down and told me the doctor called with my MRI results. And they said that the results showed a mass on my brain, which he believed was the cause of these migraines. Um, And since he was just a general practitioner, he was referring me to a neurologist and I couldn't see that specialist for a few months. So I sat there taking in the news, kind of shocked. And then I started to kind of laugh a little and I just said faith out loud. I remember this and my parents are looking at me like, she's lost her mind, (laughs) she's in shock, what's going on? And they're like, yes, 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 you know, faith, our faith, your faith, faith will see us through. And I was like, no, 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 you don't understand. I chose just a few weeks ago to lead a Bible study on faith this semester. And I knew the Lord was using this experience to teach me and those who would join the study about faith. Um, And it was scary. I went back to college and led that Bible study in the midst of the horrible migraines. I had to withdraw from many other obligations I had made and wanted to serve in, but I just couldn't do it. I couldn't, um, I had to limit what I could do. And I knew this Bible study was something I had to. Um, so I ended up having to surrender all I had planned for my senior year to the Lord. And he had won the tug of war over control. People on campus who knew what I was dealing with made comments like, oh, you're so brave, you're so strong. And um, I just shared with them oftentimes that I didn't have answers and I didn't know what was going on. So I just took each day as they came and chose to live them to the fullest. I was honest with God during these times as well and I told him, I didn't like what I was dealing with, but I trusted he was in control, that he was in the midst of this, and that he would see me through. And he did. He um, eventually relieved me of these migraines a few weeks before I saw the neurologist. I still don't know exactly what happened or how it happened, but um, the Lord removed them. And when I saw the neurologist, she didn't see the mass on the MRI results like the the original doctor had. And um, she said I was cleared medically. So it's kind of a bizarre thing, um, but it, I know the Lord was there and he, he like only he can, um, provided relief from my pain. I still suffer from my endometriosis, my depression, anxiety, and headaches from time to time. 
Along with a few other chronic illnesses, I have developed post-college. I, I don't understand why he chose to remove this brain mass and not other things, but I praise him for showing me his control over my life and choosing to relieve me of that pain I was experiencing then. And as my uh, senior year continued, I had the privilege of attending another conference with my university chapter. This was the Urbana 03 Student Missions Conference. And Urbana is a trennial student conference focused on missions and finding God's calling for your life. Um, it's been around since, it's been around for 75 years and really well known in mission uh, spheres and um, Christian college realms. It was at this call, it was at this conference that I realized God was calling me to surrender every aspect of my life and to him and revealed to me things that I was still holding on to tightly. He asked if I was willing to say yes to whatever he asked me to do. And uh, as scary as it sounded, I just had this peace and confidence to say yes to him and yes to that. And I've been walking in that since um, that day, been walking and just saying yes. Uh, Saying yes to God's calling was my ultimate relinquish of all that I attempted to control in life. It's led to many different jobs, making a lot of different friends, moving to different cities, and joining different churches. At times it's led to lonely times when I questioned what he was doing, but it's also led me to joyous times where I knew without a doubt he was present. It's not made sense to everyone who has watched me from the outside, even other Christians, But I know saying yes to him and whatever he sends my way has led me to be more and more like him and less like me. And that's now my life's goal, to be less like myself and more like him. I've got to know, Bethany. Who's your favorite artist? My favorite artist? What artist? Me- what medium? Any That's medium. So, okay. <laughs> well. Fine art. Fine art. Ooh. Well, I was always drawn to impressionist, and it's funny because I didn't get to study art in school because I played the violin, so I had to take orchestra, um, and I was able to go. Sorry. Anyway. I was able to go to Paris a few months ago, and I went to musee- or the Lingerie Museum, and it's a museum where it has two big oval rooms and long these long paintings of Monet's water lilies and willow trees, and I fell, I just felt, I was like enthralled and fell in love, and I, I was always kind of drawn to Monet, but... Like, now I know that's my favorite painter. She's all about the money. <laughs> ha. No. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> Wait, did you go to the Louvre? I did not go to the Louvre. It was on the list, but... Um, it's hard to get into. The more and more I thought about it, I'm not really into classical painting. And so... And the Mona Lisa's, like, not very big. It's so small. 
And the only thing I really wanted to see there was the Winged Victory, which is the sculpture of Nike. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, that, that would be neat. Yeah. And my sister and brother-in-law got to see those things. But I was like, nah, after seeing the water lilies and willow trees, I was like, I'm good. This, I could have stayed there, like, the whole trip. And I've been really good. What about you guys? Always been a, a big fan of Van Gogh. Yeah. I saw you some would. of his stuff. <laughs> you would. Van Gogh. Yeah, I saw uh. his um, portrait of an artist. Yes. It's incredible. See, seeing his gallery is on my bucket list. Nice. Yeah. What about you, Micah? Um, fine art. Banksy. <laughs> I mean, he's my favorite artist, but I wouldn't call him fine art. Well, some would, though. I mean, his stuff sells for a lot of money. Yeah, I mean, it's debatable if he's a fine artist or not. I was really upset because when I got back from Paris, I looked up where his stuff was. I was like, I should have done that while I was over there yeah. and seen it. I'm a big Mr. Brainwash fan. I... <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Kidding. Uh, that's a reference to a documentary about Banksy for those of you who may not be familiar. And it's. He's not very good. <laughs> what are you talking about? He's a genius. In his own mind. Well, I mean, he, he kind of is, though, because he ripped off so many famous yeah. uh, street artists and made a killing. So maybe the joke's on us. Maybe that was the real art, was maybe. forgery. Maybe. But it, was really, it wasn't really forgery, it was just copyright, <laughs> plagiarism, whatever you want to call it. I think they all mean the same thing. <laughs> so, InterVarsity. Safe to say it's a, a pretty big part of your life, even today, right? Yeah, yeah. What is it? So, that's a great question. I had never heard of InterVarsity before I went to college, um... And surprisingly, my parents had, which was um, interesting to find out. Um, So it's a college ministry. Um, I work for it now, so I can say we were on 600 campuses in the United States. And um, we have what are called chapters that meet on campuses. We, I think, have last... Last numbers I saw were 900 to maybe 1,200 chapters on campuses. And um, we meet weekly for like a large group setting, which will have worship and a main speaker who will speak on scripture. And um, Then throughout the week, there are Bible studies, evangelistic events, outreaches, missional stuff on campus. Um, so it's similar to like a campus crusade for Christ or crew, um, and navigators. And, um, it was funny cause I, when my, when I started college, my roommate got involved with them immediately. I had never heard of them and thought they were a cult <laughs> and come to find out a lot of students on campus do until they get to know us and, and see uh, we're really passionate about scripture. We're passionate about prayer. We're passionate about um, becoming world changers for the Lord. So what does it look like being associated with InterVarsity for you right now? 
Um, well, right now I, um, I'm employed with them in our national service center, which is basically our headquarters in Madison, Wisconsin. And I, it's weird for me to say this, um, but I'm part, I serve with InterVarsity in national leadership. So my title is project manager for the strategy and innovation department. So I report to um, a VP over that department and work with national directors um, who are my peers who oversee our, our different departments of evangelism, um, missions, discipleship, uh, multi-ethnic initiatives, and chapter planning, which is like church planning. So going to new campuses where there's not any university or any Christian ministries and anything ministry started there. So I serve all of them in helping them um, with their projects and getting things that they envision going started and completed. And it's cool because I've been in full-time ministry with InterVarsity for eight years, and a lot of people don't think or don't realize that you can take whatever you studied in school and make it missional, whether you're with a nonprofit or, um, you know, at, you know, IBM, you know, you can be missional wherever you go. Um, and that's what part of or my Urbana attendance, um, taught me and, uh, yeah, so you can take, you know, your degree in writing and communications and obviously become a project manager, helping shape um, resources used for like 20,000 students across the United States. Um, <coughs> is it endo- endometriosis? Endometriosis. Okay. Endometriosis. All right. What is endometriosis? Because I've never... Yeah, yeah. Endometriosis is um, an actually fairly common disease that doesn't get um, identified a lot. Um, awareness is coming out, and a lot of people have spoken out about it. It's a disease that affects women's reproductive health. So basically, it's when um, this tissue that is supposed to grow inside a woman's uterus grows outside it and I mean this is all medical I've talked about this for (laughs) over half my life you know but and so it can um, attach itself to different organs and stuff but it often causes infertility among a lot of different major issues for Mm. women okay yeah that's no fun no (laughs) no it's not but um Halsley have you heard of yeah. the singer? She's yeah. diagnosed. She's been speaking out a lot about it. Lena Dunham, um, actor, actress, mm-hmm. has spoken out about a lot about it. And I'm going to butcher her name, but Padima, who's from, she was the host on Top Shelf, Top Chef for several years. She's done a lot of work. She was the first like celebrity to do a lot to raise awareness. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's uncurable right now. So, being your brother, I have unfair advantage as to insight growing up. You were young when you were diagnosed. 17. So, what would be 
some words of encouragement or advice that you might give to a, a young woman facing that same uh, facing the same news? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and I was very fortunate. Um, my aunt had just gone through a diagnosis and surgeries, and so we were pretty sure after following her journey that that's what I had. Um, but my diagnosis happened in the year 2000. I was 17 years old. That was a long time back then. The internet even wasn't what it is now. Um, what was hard was my first doctor, I felt like didn't listen to me, um, and didn't believe me. And it took a lot to get my first surgery. And that's really the only true way they can diagnose you is by doing a surgery and going like an exploratory Mm -hmm to go in and look around. So, um, for people, for, for women, young women, older women, I mean, I have friends my age now who are wondering, do I have this? And I'm like, you might, you know, um, to, um, first of all, know that this is really common and, um, it feels scary and it feels like you might be alone in it, but you're not. There are so many people out there. Um, to mention it to a doctor you trust, whether that's your general a general practitioner or a, or a specialist, um, and do just do some research. Do research on the internet um, or contact these guys, and they can put you in contact with me. I would be more than willing um, to help talk to people. I've done that several. I've done that all for many years. Um, and can, and we'll continue to do that, but don't feel like you're alone. Don't, if you know, there's something wrong, we know ourselves. Well, you know, um, don't let it go and, and push if you need to, to find someone who will listen and help you. Why do you think some, some Christians, um, have a difficult time believing that God can heal people? Yeah. Cause I mean, you mentioned the, uh, the possible, um, brain mass. Yeah, the brain mass that was causing mm-hmm. migraines. Yeah, and it just it went away. It got healed. <laughs> Not everything got healed, but that right. Day. And right. some people would have a hard time even believing that. Right, right. And it's it's interesting. You know, it's easy to not believe in something that you haven't seen or experienced yourself or have had a firsthand look at someone you trust and are super close to experience. Um, And the supernatural is kind of scary, you know, even though it's, you know, with the Lord, it can be really good. Um, It it is scary because, uh, yeah, I'm trying to think of how to word this. For me, for me, what happened, is I had I had a lot of people praying for me. I've always believed in the power of prayer. I've always been a big prayer. Um, we have a strong legacy of prayer warriors in our family. And um, but there was always something kind of like in the back of my mind, like what if though? What if this doesn't happen? You know. Um, but you pray anyway. You know that's what we're taught. You pray. And um, what happened with me was. Um, I had started studying around that time uh, what it what prayer and anointing people um, meant in the in the Bible and experiences of that and what what it represented and how um, 
the Lord, the oil was like at times a representation of the Lord's covering over people. And um, the Lord just brought me to a place of really understanding and being at peace with that. And the church I was involved in at the time, the women's group, I was involved with a women's Bible study. They asked if they could pray and anoint me with oil. And normally I would have said no. <laughs> like that would probably freak me out. And, it, and you know, it's what the Lord was doing in me at the time. Um, I said yes. And um, so they they prayed over me. They anointed me. And it was that evening where um, there was some stuff that happened physically. I'm not sure exactly what happened, but the next day I woke up without the pain. Um, I think it's because we're, we're scared sometimes of, or we don't understand. So therefore it can cause us to be scared or doubtful of the Holy Spirit, of his ability to do things like that. Um, and it's still, I mean, it happens all over the world, but here in the States, we're kind of more standoffish and don't want to maybe fully embrace all that um, the power of the spirit can do in us through us with us yeah it's easy to be skeptical yeah I I have always had a hard time with it Um, even like you know after getting saved and everything but like you said it wasn't until I saw something happen and Mm -hmm. I was like oh cool God can do that (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it was on a mission trip, and there was this girl who, uh, she got sick. Like, they thought it was uh, this this fever that mosquitoes give you yeah. where we were. And we, we circled up around her, and we, we just prayed for the fever to go away. Um, otherwise, they were going to take her to the hospital in the morning. And we did that, and then nothing happened. In the morning, they took her to the hospital, and on the ride there... Uh, her fever broke and went away. But the crazy thing was what happened next because they brought her back home and we were just ministering to her dad and telling him the gospel story. And he told us, you know, I, I got to be honest with you guys. I I kind of am believing, starting to believe in this Jesus guy mm. because he, he told us what happened to his daughter and she had nerve damage in one of her legs where she couldn't really use it. Um, or if she did use it, there'd be just... A lot of pain so she she could barely walk um, she couldn't swim and she liked to swim and after we'd prayed over her and when they were driving back after her fever broke her leg pain was gone and it's, she even got yeah. to go swimming that night and it was just totally fine yeah it's just crazy yeah and I mean I was I was definitely that guy sitting there praying that or praying for healing over her and I had, like, literally the smallest amount of faith possible. Yeah. I was like, there's no way this is going to happen. And then God did it. Yeah. And what golly, what really stuck out to me was we had a long, long discussion about it afterwards because we were all like, this is insane. Yeah. No way. Um, but the missionary we were working with said that usually, well, he, he believes that, um, and I believe this now too, you only see... God and the Holy Spirit healing people when it's meant to show his glory yeah. and to show someone the power of the gospel. Yep. And he was on the cusp of believing in in, mm. in the gospel and believing in Jesus and trusting him. And that was the one thing that pushed him over was getting to see his daughter. Healed. Yeah, that's one thing. It's cool because um, 
InterVarsity, we've started doing some trainings um, around prayer Mm -hmm. and healing in evangelistic settings like that, that the Lord oftentimes wants to move so deeply in people um, that they'll come to faith, you know, through whether it's healing or, um, you know, physical healing or emotional healing, um, things like that. So that's really cool. Yeah, that's cool. So, <clears throat> contrasting to that, I want to talk about what it looks like when when God doesn't choose to heal. So, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, God definitely removed that the brain mass mm-hmm. after being anointed and, and having faith. Mm-hmm. But he didn't take all of your ailments right. or illnesses, however you want to phrase that. What advice would you give to people walking through a constant struggle with health? Because that's something that's a huge part of your Mm -hmm. life. Yeah. And how would you encourage them to just continue to lean or trust in God or even choose to for the first time despite going through whatever they may be going through? Yeah, it's, you know, I've... um... I often think sometimes, like, if people hear my story, I wonder if they would, like, laugh at me for still being a Christian because of the amount of pain some of the sickness I have um, brings at times. Um, and I I think what's helped me is um, knowing the Lord is present in that. Um, I mean, there's... There are some nights when one of my um, diseases flares up. Um, I have abdominal migraines with this one disease, and it's it's as horrific as it sounds. And I literally pray all night, Lord, take this away. And I don't I don't understand why I have it, and I don't understand the pain associated with it. Um, but I do know that He's the only thing I'm clinging to in those moments because that's all I have. Um, so I would encourage people, um, to cry out to the Lord, like, and that's what I did before the brain mass stuff, um, was relieved and healed is a lot of times I would just sit with the Lord and be like, I don't like this. I don't want this. I don't understand why I have it, but I trust you are in it and you're with me. And, um, I do that with, you know, all the other things I have and, um, it doesn't make the pain go away. It doesn't make things easier, but it makes, uh, it gives me peace that I'm not alone. Um, oftentimes I just remember listening to your guys's episode on, um, the crucifixion and thinking through like, the Lord has experienced much worse pain, obviously, than I have he knows what this feels like, you know? Um, I'm not sure if that fully answers your question, but, and to find, you know, find, find things that are helpful in the midst of the, the good and the bad of whatever you're dealing with. Um, I do have some constant pain, but then I have flare ups. So in between flare ups, you know, I am finding, ways that um 
to enjoy life and glorify God and, and worship him for what I have in those quote, good days, even though they're not like 100% good days. But I question all the time, honestly, why, why one thing and not the other, you know? So that, that just kind of makes me think back to what your roommate said when you were just in that, that moment of, of why me, where do I go from here of God's plan is still perfect for you and he still loves you. And I, th- I think through our illnesses, I mean, I mean, the reason we have illnesses is, you know, sin, right? The fall of man, the, the separation from us and God. So there's, there is no perfection. And so we're going to face difficulties, but I think realizing that God's plan is still perfect mm-hmm. despite that. And, you know, he is glorified despite our shortcomings is a huge, a huge thing to choose to focus on instead of focusing on the negative, just realizing that God can still use, for example, your endometriosis. You mm-hmm. can share with someone else what yeah. God has done through you despite that. Oh, yeah. Or even through that. Yeah. And I, I've been able to use all of my illnesses so far, except for my, my recent one. Um, the depression is the biggest one he's been able to use. And I, I remember, um, a few years ago, um, a new girl had started in the office who was from the South and I felt really drawn to her. And, um, we were at, a couple months after she started, we were at a national staff conference and, um, we, she, she, and during like one of our worship sets, she came up to me and she's like, I feel like the Lord is telling me to tell you something. And I was like, okay, you know, like I've walked through a lot with a lot of people like, sure. You know, I've heard it, seen it all. And she said, you know, right before I started with university, um, I was diagnosed with depression and, and I almost, I almost started laughing, not at her, but at the situation. Cause I was like, oh yeah, the Lord told you to talk to me. You've got this. I've got this. We've got this. You're in a good, strong community. I've been going through this for so many years. Like, let me just hug you. I wish I'd known sooner, you know? Um, but he's still, yeah, you know, like I've been able to use, all of what I've gone through to help so many other people. And that gives back to me too. You know, it shows that at times at the beginning of all this, when I'm like, why me? You know, what, what's this going to, how is this going to benefit my life? It has been rewarding even in the midst of all the pain and all the heartache to be able to minister to others during their times. And allow people to minister to me, too. That leads into something I wanted to ask you about. Because, I mean, you know this, but I've been diagnosed with depression, too. Um, It's a daily struggle. Yep. Um, It's something I I hear a lot, or I have heard a lot. I haven't heard it in a while, actually. But you have people who come up to you and say, like, oh, you know, just think happier thoughts. (laughs) Just, you know, just... Put your chin up and get over it. Um, or like, you know, have you have you been praying about it? It's my favorite one. It's like, well, of course I've been praying about it. 
what do you think your faith's not strong enough is another one yeah yeah stuff like that yeah. like you know obviously god's just testing your faith you know? silly things um so first have you gotten stuff like that and then second how do you think the church needs to change the discussion about mental health yeah yeah um i haven't i haven't heard so much of that stuff in a really long time um and again i was diagnosed at 18 almost like 20 years ago Mm. so i've gone pretty far in my journey um and but i've seen other people you know experience a lot of that and um i i actually wrote a blog post for InterVarsity several years ago about um, how to how to be friends well with someone who's suffering from mental illness, specifically depression. Um, and I think the church is slowly getting better at this, at addressing mental illness and um, recognizing that it's not it's not just or necessarily or only a faith problem. Um, but it is a, um, medical, (laughs) a real medical issue. Um, and, and for me, it was, you know, and it is hormonal and, and all of those things. I do have all these chemical imbalances. Um, and so I think, you know, stigma, first of all, you know, um, if people were more open and honest about, you know, um, dealing with it we know there are past you know there's got to be pastors that deal with this so what if pastors spoke from an honest place Mm -hmm. about this um that would definitely eliminate stigma it could also you know put their jobs in jeopardy but it depending on where they're at and their churches and stuff like that um but also just like be a healing thing for those who are suffering from the church to hear from those in leadership um, just general awareness, <laughs> you know, like general trainings on how to minister and love well, those, um, instead of the, um, the unhelpful and sometimes harmful things of, well, your face not strong enough, or you're obviously not praying, or you've done something to cause this, what sin is in your life type mm-hmm. stuff. Um, and I think to just be patient and um, and love well, whether that means, um, you know, being okay. Like, I, I've, I've had the opposite at times, too, where people know I have depression and, um, and don't say things like that, but are always like, oh, we haven't seen her in two weeks. Is she okay? You know? Or, um, or totally back off because they don't know what to do, you know, and they're scared of overprotecting. So realizing, you know, that I'm just a person, you don't have to be overprotective and you don't have to be like totally standoffish. I'll let you know, <laughs> you know, what's best for me. Just ask, you just know, normal. just have a conversation. Like, Hey, I know you deal with this. What would be helpful for you? And if we don't see you in two weeks, what does that, does that mean anything or not? You know, sometimes it could mean something and sometimes it could be, I've been traveling for work or I just had other things come up, you know, 
So I think just being dialoguing, I think a lot of life's issues could be solved with good communication in general. And so I think the church, um, and so being afraid, like there's no need to be afraid to address this, um, to just have conversations with people. And one thing we did in our office a few years ago is I helped organize, we have like a chapel every Wednesday. And for one chapel, I helped organize like a Q&A with people who had different mental illnesses. So we had depression, anxiety, PTSD, and an eating disorder. I'll answer questions from the office. And I mean, something like that could be huge. And you wouldn't have to do it as a sermon, but like as a just weekend event, maybe for those who might be interested to, to again, you know, um, bring down, eliminate any of the biases or preconceived notions and just make it a these are real people just like you who are dealing with things and this is their story and how God's met them and and how you can be ministering to them and others like them so changing directions a little bit there but kind of related a lot of your story has to do with with listening to God, whether it's your calling to to school, you just felt like God was calling you to the college you went to, um, calling you into ministry, calling you to move, calling you to be obedient. How do you know what's him? How do, how do you know God's voice? Yeah. I have a lot of friends who are like, I don't hear God like other people do I'm like well I think we all can hear from God but it probably looks different for all of us um and the first thing to hear from him is you have to make the space you know to hear from him you have to cut out noise in your life um and I obviously I don't hear like an audible voice from heaven <laughs> booming in my ear or anything like that. Um, it's often, often starts with, um, for me, an idea that pops in my head that I know, like it's something I would never think of. Um, and, or I journal a lot. Um, sometimes like as I'm journaling, like all of a sudden, like I'm writing things that I'm like, hmm, I don't know where that came from. That's not necessarily me. And um, I never just go like, okay, and that's the Lord. I'm going to do that. What it, I, I often pray about that, and the Lord will confirm and affirm through. Usually what happens is there's a sermon I hear or um, a podcast I'm listening to that like is saying the same thing to me. Often what happens is someone who doesn't even know that I'm praying about this will like, say something to me along those lines um and I just get confirmations in so many different ways that I never you know a song on the radio um it's usually at least three confirmations come um that this is yeah what I heard was not it was not of me you know it was the Lord directing me to do that um so those are the ways I usually hear from him um, and and it's encouraging because then I know like, 
oh yeah, this is, this is true. This is, <laughs> I've obviously got to do this now <laughs> because like he keeps telling me this. Sometimes it's like within the same week and, and sometimes it's just like, Hey, I want you to focus on this. It's not like move to California or anything. You know, it's just like, I have this for you right now. Pay attention to it. You know, like a message. Um, I've been doing that this year a lot with trust and trusting him. And, uh, it's been funny the different times it comes up, like I'll, I'll put it out. Like I'll start to get concerned about something. And then at church, we're singing a new song about trust. And then we have a guest speaker who's talking about trust. And then on the way home, I get a text from someone who has a verse about, you know, I'm like, I get it, you know, so it's often like that. I can relate to what you said about not wanting to live the same life you had growing up. I also grew up in a lower class, and I bought into the idea of pursuing higher education to carve out a better life for myself, which led to a college degree, which is awesome. Um, Do you still believe that idea? Because I know I've found myself struggling with it over the last couple of years. Like, I was chasing the American dream rather than pursuing being content in the Lord Mm -hmm. where I was be it financially or in my Mm -hmm. career or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, that, that's a very real thing still, especially since I'm a single woman in my mid, well, my late thirties now. (laughs) Um, it, I, I often struggle with, I should, um, I should be independent and should be, um, providing for myself and not not having to worry about bills or um, I have a college degree, you know, I worked hard. I'm a hard worker. Um, I often struggle with that and with like, but also am I trusting the Lord for everything I need? And am I comparing what I have to what others have? And is that like, am I looking at my financial situation necessarily in a want or a need category, you know? Um, and that gets hard. Um, but I often, when I often stop, stop the comparison, um, I've heard this quote so many times from, um, pastor Tony, but I know it's attributed to someone else. Um, and it's played a big part in my life. Uh, comparison is the thief of joy and it's true when I get back to Wisconsin um and I'm I'm away from maybe family who has more um or friends who have more I I love my apartment I'm totally content um I love the life I have there and I'm and I'm completely content and my focus is on the Lord only and so when I don't think another thing which has been interesting the Lord has been really teaching me about um, is I um, for the longest time um, didn't long for things or want nice things or want desires of my heart because as I grew up like I was often told like we can't do that like I just learned not to ask learn not to want and I'm a woman and a prayer class I was in last year with the university last summer. She um, she really challenged me. She said, you know, I grew up the same as you. She's older than me. And she said, you know, 
the Lord does want you to want and long, and he wants to give you things. And I thought, I don't know about that. That sounds like prosperity gospel, you know? And, um, and, and as I was, as I began, I really began praying about that. And, um, I read this book called Teach Us to Want. It's an university book and, um, a Christianity Today bestseller. And in it, she goes through the, um, the Lord's prayer and talks about longings and, um, I realized like there are desires that the Lord has given me, like to create art, mm-hmm. to um, have good relationships, things like that, that I can long for and be okay with. And he can provide for me to do those things. Um, like I didn't know how I was going, I currently on sabbatical and I wanted to um, create art and take art lessons. And I didn't know how I was gonna do that, but he provided all of that. And it wasn't like I was longing for a Mercedes or, you know, like a crazy outlandish thing. It was something he had given me that I began to be okay with, that I gave back over to him, which is kind of getting off base to what you were talking about. (laughs) But um, it is, it's a struggle, you know, and it continues to be, but in, in that struggle, quieting the noises of the outside world of what at times the expectations I place on myself and and looking back to who I am as a child of God, what I'm supposed to be, what he's called me to be, um, reminds me that I have what I need and um, and it's all that I need. Yeah. I will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten. Joel 2. 25. Thank you for listening to the Mountain and Valley Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating wherever you enjoy your podcasts. You can also follow us on social media. Just search for underscore MV Podcast on any platform. Again, that's underscore M as in Mountain, V as in Valley Podcast. This podcast was created and produced by Kip Wilkinson and Michael Horvath. All of our original music was written and produced by the talented Robert Luther. Thank you so much for listening. Now go tell your story.